Hello and welcome to Heilman and Haver, the stage and screen podcast coming to you from Casa de Quinn Studios in beautiful Port Orchard, Washington. I'm Greg Heilman. And I'm Matt Haver. We're two local actors looking to hone our craft by exploring the best in local theater and on the big screen. Each week we'll bring you entertainment news and views, celebrate classic Hollywood, enjoy cocktails with a Tinseltown twist, and interview talented local actors and directors. Today we welcome to the show actor, light and stage technician, and stage manager, Adrian DeGroot. Hey, thanks so much. Adrian has been active in Kitsap County Community Theaters for over 20 years. He first appeared at the Performing Arts Guild of South Kitsap in The Foreigner in 1998. Since then, he's been involved in over 30 productions as an actor, light and sound tech, and stage manager. When he's not indulging in theater, Adrian holds down his day job as a programmer and is graced with a wonderful family. His wife of 24 years and three kids are very supportive and even volunteer in the lobby and hospitality roles at the Bremerton Community Theater. As an actor, Adrian gravitates toward fun and character parts, especially those with accents, uh, including Agatha Christie's Appointment with Death, where he got to work with your two humble hosts and you and i worked recently on go back for murder we did also yes. also requiring an english accent in this case it feels like a lot of shows uh end up really um employing the standard british accent or you know queen's british or whatever um yeah it's it's a fun one and it's one that is instantly recognizable as saying this is set away from home Right. Now, you've done a lot of work at BCT, and you're one of the few people in our community who are actively involved in a show at BCT. That's right. Uh, I am uh, running lights for Shout, the mod musical. It's being directed by Rana Tan, and it's got five amazing women who are... Uh, it's a it's a musical, and they uh, they're doing the singing and the dancing, and um, it's uh, they do such a good job, uh, especially because we don't have an open date yet. We uh, we have to wait until phase four before the uh, Bremerton Community Theater can open up their main stage. So, um, in the meantime, we're just trying to keep as uh, you know as as sharp as possible with the show. And that includes a weekly full run rehearsal, which I get to be a part of. Wow, it keeps your uh, your chops uh, fresh. It does. Yeah. It it helps a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> well, one thing I know we're gonna we're gonna talk about accents, but I just wanted to say that when we worked um, on appointment together, and I remember even in auditions, you switching back and forth between the English accent that you did in the show, the French accent. There's probably two or three different accents. I think. Within like a ten minute period, just switch from one to the other to the other, which I thought was super impressive. Oh, thank you. It's, it's a lot of fun. There's, I can, I'll, talk, I'm sure I'll talk about it later. But there's kind of a, a, a little bit of a technique to some of that. But yeah, it's, it's what I enjoy doing. Awesome. So you're working on the technical side of the show currently at BCT, but uh, are best known for, as an actor here in this area. So what, uh, what inspired you first to take up acting, and and when was that exactly? <laughs> um, it's actually funny. It's before uh, my wife and I had kids. Um, we were a host family to Japanese exchange students. It turned out that one of the other host families was active in the local theater, in the Port Old Port Orchard um, Performing Arts Guild, or PAG. And so they managed to get all of us into a show. And it was a little teeny tiny show at this little teeny tiny hole in the wall. It's, uh, it used to be above the Dragonfly Theater in downtown Port Orchard. So... Um, we all went, and at the beginning of that show, they uh, uh, announced auditions for the next show. 
and I saw it, and it was it was kind of fun, and it sounded kind of neat. I had never done anything like this in college or high school or anything, but it sounded kind of fun, and so I auditioned, and that next show happened to be The Foreigner, and that was that. <laughs> you were hooked. I was hooked. See, I can't yeah. imagine that you didn't act your whole life. No, I, I, I come from a family that has a lot of uh, musical and art background. So my father was in uh, the symphony, New Orleans Symphony, Boston Symphony. Uh, my mother has a, a music major. So I just, it skipped, it felt like it skipped a generation, but I guess <laughs> when it, it came along to it, it actually didn't. And I, I, I just happened to, the stars happened to align and I happened to, to get this part and it was fantastic. Well, taking up acting, so I guess you could say later than, than some, uh, from the perspective of doing the accents are accents something you've always played with in, in your life did you just pick that up when you started acting and then it was kind of the first accent that you you attempted on stage it's always i've always enjoyed them they're always fun to listen to i always enjoy hearing them the first one actually was my first show it was uh i should say there's a so i consider it kind of an unofficial accent it was uh the character that i played in the foreigner is was ellard the first, the first time I ran Foreigner. Ellard is, um, for those who haven't seen the show, uh, he is kind of a, he appears to be a dullard. The show itself is kind of set in the South. So I kind of had to have a slower voice. And I, there were some very specific things I said, like fall work, two parts. And so I did this, but I didn't have any sort of help beyond what was in the script itself. Typically, and, and uh, uh, actors usually see this, especially with character parts, there are certain words that in the script they like to put phonetically or they like to have very specific spellings to indicate that they, they want it said a certain way. Mm -hmm. So they did that with Ellert, especially for some of the, um, the laugh points or the, the, um, the humorous things that he would say. The very next show I did was Out of Order, and that's a show set with, with British uh, with a British accents for most people. And that was actually the first one where I got a hold of a tape. Katrina Baxter Hodiak, or Katrina Lenore, as it, she's been mentioned on the show before, wonderful person. Um, she had this uh, cassette tape. Um, it was actually, uh, it's called Acting with an Accent by David Allen Stern. So he's a, a professor of linguistics and he specializes, uh, one of several who specializes in making uh, uh, these uh, training uh, tapes for dialects and I took to his process very it, it, it was very natural for me and so um, that was the first uh, show where I actually got to do a British accent and uh, I'm, it may not be a, uh, precise or it may not be uh, exact in, uh, in Britain itself but it does what it's supposed to do and it, it brings the audience to a general location and it's really more about that than it is about giving a specific, uh, a specific exact accent. So out of order was the first I would consider um, trained or coached accent that I did. Okay, we got to do the rest of the show in British accents. <laughs> <laughs> so going back to the, the first accent you attempted, you said it wasn't, you don't consider it quite an accent. And that brings us to our next question is, what is the difference between an accent, a dialect, um, you mentioned that there were some little colloquialisms. We'll throw that into the mix mm -hmm. um, as far as laugh points, et cetera. Um, how do you define 
the difference between those, really those two things, dialect and accent. Sure. Well, I feel like this is, I'm sure there's an official definition somewhere, but I kind of feel like the distinction is in uh, a dialect is kind of a subset of a language. So I would consider something like a Texas dialect or a Southern dialect. Uh, I would consider something something that approximates a character whose English is a second language, I would consider it accent. The way the voice sounds, but the words you use and some of those more cultural things from a specific region. Phrasing, etc. Sure, sure. And, and a colloquialism, I would consider, define a character more. As, as a previous example, my character of Ellard. If you get into the southern accent, well, not everybody talks the same way, but Ellard... Uh, Ellard specifically said things like fall work. So he had a very specific way of saying very specific words. And I would consider those uh, perhaps a character colloquialism. Hmm. So as opposed to, it's not really a dialect because it's it's a one person. Mm -hmm. So again, we're kind of dialing in. You referenced the uh, the program that helped you learn dialects mm -hmm. to begin with and accents. And you said the word tapes. Yes. So you're dating yourself. <laughs> yes. We I remember am. tapes, all of us around this table, except mm -hmm. maybe for associate producer Quinn. <laughs> yes. Are those types of uh, systems and programs still available? Absolutely. In a different media? Yes. I assume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I actually, uh, I, I did a little bit of, of looking up. I'm sure that David Allen Stern, as, uh, as a specific publicist, is available still. Actually, if you go on to Amazon.com, you will find uh, a couple different options. I noticed uh, one of the top authors was uh, Paul Mayer, M-E-I-E-R. That one has CDs, and they also say that a new version of it's a book, uh, and it's an accompanying book. It has uh, streaming audio. So mm. absolutely, you can find other options if you're looking for a specific coach. Now, additionally, if you uh, prefer to just try it yourself, uh, there is a website. Uh, it's called dialectsarchive.org is the website address, and it's IDEA. It's the International Dialects of English Archive. This is a site. It's a free site. It's amazing. You can find English dialects and accents from all around the world, and you can actually dive in to uh, sub-dialects and sub-different... You hear different people saying the same uh, phrases or saying the same general story, and so you can really dig into some of those differences and changes and it's, nuance. It's amazing. New, yeah, exactly. The, so take the British Isles, for example. Mm -hmm. Irish, Scottish, Welsh, Cockney, <laughs> yeah. Londoner, microcosms. Yeah. I actually, I used it for um, Appointment with Death. So mm -hmm. in Appointment with Death, it was specified in the script that I had a North English accent, which is different from your ta your standard British so one of the things that I did, I happened to have a tape. So uh, I listened to the to the dialect tape for that. But then I went on to this idea site, and I actually listened to some examples because it's difficult. It's not Scottish. It's definitely not Irish, but it's not quite English either. There's there's the, a cadence difference to it, and it's actually it hits in the different in a different part of the mouth. So hmm. having that was a that was a really great resource uh, to be able to figure that accent out finally cool well we will post those links uh, that you gave us at the show notes so that everybody can access those and have uh, can see those um i remember i auditioned for mousetrap it was the first show i ever did with an english accent and then i did mary poppins after that and i kind of went in it completely blind 
I'm just using what I've you know seen on TV and you know to, you know having known some some English people so I was not prepared at all for any of it for someone in that in that in that in those shoes um, that's going in blind to an audition or has never done an accent before do you have any advice that you can give them to at least get started or, or be a little more prepared than maybe I was for my first time sure if you have time if you know that there's going to be an accent try to get familiar with that accent a little bit even if it's just uh, watching a tv show or a movie where somebody is speaking in that if you don't have time don't worry about the accent at the end of the day the audition is for you to see is for the director to see how good of an actor you are and your emotion and your the way that you read a line will be uh is more important by far than whether or not you nail an accent. You can always learn the accent later. If, however, you are comfortable with an accent, then by all means show it off because at the end of the day, that will, that, that may give you an edge. It sounds a little contradictory, but I'm sure you, when you're actually up there on stage auditioning, you can kind of tell if you're ready or not. Pay attention to in the script. So you'll most likely be doing cold reads. Pay attention to the script. If the script has very specific ways of saying something, think about what that is and try to emulate that to show the character that you're looking at. Uh, finally, just kind of be aware that if if this is a show that has accents and um, you are really interested in it, get ready to work on it hard after you get cast. Just kind of be prepared that that's one of the things that you need to do right off the bat. And that actually kind of leads us into our next question. We talk about some of the tools that are out there, some of the learning tools, but what steps do you take personally or do you find uh, work for you that, uh, to learn that accent once you've been cast and you know, okay, this is the one I have to learn. Do you make uh, notes on the script? Do you change, uh, do you write things out phonetically? Uh, anything like that, that you'd suggest? That's a good idea, definitely. Uh, the biggest piece of advice that I can give for that is learn that accent early, even before maybe learning your lines. Hmm. It's a lot easier to to memorize your lines and to have the lines learned in the accent to begin with than to learn your lines in a standard American accent and then try to translate that into British. Now, I understand that you may be, you know, the first few, you know, the first week, let's say, you might have to use, you know, you might not be able to use your accent. But to do while you're doing this work with that accent so as an example um, one of the properties of the the tools that i use talks about resonance which is where you feel when you're talking where you feel the noise resonating in your mouth in an american accent it happens at about in the middle of your mouth if you were to to be able to poke your fingers through your cheeks where your fingers would touch in the center of your mouth is where a standard American accent resonates. That's where the sound comes from. When you move towards British, that point of resonance actually moves forward, and it's about uh, right behind your front teeth. So even if you don't put anything else into the British accent, once you know where that resonance is, that really helps to get you 70% of the way there. Understanding that, working that in early to your script. And absolutely, Matt, like you said, if you make notes in your script, especially difficult words, do that. Um, the last thing is just to remember at the end of the day, the accent is a 
tool. It is, uh, it is just uh, something that is used to add flavor to the story, but it is not the story itself. Listen to your director. The director may say, pull it back a little bit. They, they may say, uh, they may have specific coaching on how they want you to sound. Take that advice. Of course, the director comes above whatever tool or lesson that you're using because they have a specific vision for how they want your character to sound. So uh, that's kind of the biggest thing. And that includes listening to yourself and when you kind of get into it. And I actually made this mistake in The Foreigner. So in the second time I, I got to do The Foreigner was at Bremerton Community Theater. And uh, I got to play a different character. His name's Froggy. So he is a he's a British army guy. And he has this very much this Cockney accent. And I love Cockney. And it's a little bit more difficult for me to do. So I'm not, I don't think I'm going to try to show it off here because I'd have to practice it a little bit. But one of the things that I did, and this was actually, uh, this was actually mentioned in a review of the show, was that my accent was a little too thick. And as much fun as it was to do, it made my lines a little bit harder to understand. And that impacts the show and not in a great way. So it is always worth taking a moment to think about, am I making myself understandable or am I just diving too far into the accent Let's strike a balance between believability and becoming a caricature absolutely yes okay. that's that's especially when you're talking about certain accents like german it's very very important to to try to get a, a specific german accent and do not go into the uh the austrian german you start doing the Austrian German and you start sounding like a, like a Third Reich. And that's not what you're trying to do unless you're specifically uh, playing a role like that. That's, that's not what we want to do. That's not German. That's a, that's a stereotype. And you don't want to uh, offend an entire people that way. So think about what you're doing. Use it as a tool, but do not, uh, do not lose yourself in it. Well, that's some good advice. Really good stuff. Um, switching gears a little bit. So talked about watching people do accents and shows and movies and things like that. Uh, what celebrity have you seen that does the best accent that's not his or her own? <laughs> um, I was shocked when I found out that Hugh Laurie, House MD, uh, was not American. His accent is phenomenal his, in the way that he says it and, and how consistent it is. It's very, very, very good. Um, Tom Holland also another one in his uh, Spider-Man roles. He has, a, he has a very believable New York accent. And, it, it, and it's very light. You'll notice that if you go back and listen to him in uh, Homecoming, especially when he's talking to, uh, talking to you know, the shopkeeper and something, something from home, it, just, it feels natural. And actually, uh, the magazine Wired has a, you know, a Wired's... Uh, experts series and they actually have a dialect coach who does this sort of thing who who talks about specific accents and he himself mentioned that tom hollands was very very good i've noticed that in some films uh, when, when folks are doing accents when they get really emotional the natural accent sometimes comes through even if it's just a little bit and i think i've, I've never noticed that with with tom holland and um definitely not hugh laurie but you know you notice it with some it's hard. Yeah. It's hard because you have you have your own way of speaking. 
this is something that you've grown up with and you've lived your entire life with and to try to change the pattern of how you speak and keep it consistent even when you're trying to have these strong emotions and portraying them on on screen it's difficult the 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 best students of of dialects can do that i've always wondered if it's difficult for actors from other countries to learn and perform an american accent because it almost seems like the absence of an accent but again that because that's a regional thing because Very much so. america is such a mixed place uh you've got southern and new england of course and and west coast i guess has its own i've i've been told yes. <laughs> that seattle area people like ourselves it's almost the most absent accent anywhere but it's all relative. It is. And if you listen, it's interesting. The more you think about it, the more you can actually start picking out different areas of the country. So, f for example, you'll hear the way certain people, you can tell that they're from L.A. or they can, you know, from Southern California. There's definitely a couple of distinctive things that they do. And it's hard for me to do because I haven't actually studied the dialect, but I can I, under, I, I recognize it when I hear it. So yeah, there's a lot of different places, but a lot of different, all countries have that. All countries will have a different dialects of their own language. Yeah, I mean, there's times when, when people can tell that I'm from around the Philadelphia area, you know, certain things I say, certain, you know, phrases, things like that's so interesting. Speaking of New England accent, we wanted to talk a little bit about what actors have really nailed it, but also some actors that really haven't. <laughs> as far as <laughs> at, and the first one that comes to mind, which strangely enough, is Goodwill Hunting, and you've got these two kids from Boston, and I just Affleck and Damon, their accent to me is just not believable, and I know they're from there, and I just don't know why I can't get over that. It's such a great film, but their accents drive me berserk. Just mute their scenes when it comes on and skip to Robin Williams. But are there any other movies that stand out where it's like, as great as that person is, really did not get that one. I really enjoy movies. And again, this is going to date me. I enjoy movies with Sean Connery. He cannot do an accent. I love Hunt for Red October. <laughs> we, He's we not were, Russian. And we were joking tell. about that. We were putting the, the, the show notes together. And, and Sean Connery's Russian accent is the same as a Scottish accent, yep. which is the same as his Irish accent. Yep. Yep, exactly. And it's interesting because the, the first thing that I thought of uh, when you said that actually is, I mean, outside of Sean Connery, uh, do you remember The Fugitive with Harrison Ford? Mm -hmm. Okay. The big bad guy has this really bizarre, and I believe his the actor's name is uh, Jerome Crabbe, Crabbe. I'm not sure. I'm sorry. I'm butchering his name. He's maybe not, I don't know that he is necessarily a, a English speaker, but his accent was just bizarre. Like it's one thing if, if it's a, if it's recognizable as as he has a little bit of a, a hint of Austrian or a hint of German. Arnold Schwarzenegger can get away with that mm -hmm. thick Austrian accent, and every, you know people love it and they love him. But this guy just for whatever reason, his accent was very distracting to me in this movie, and that's kind of that's kind of where my bar is. I don't mind if you're doing a silly accent. Or whatever, but it's gotta not distract. As soon as it starts distracting from the show, you got a problem. What celebrity do you think has the the greatest accent, the greatest voice? Mm. Who would you most like to be cast to do the voice of? Oh boy, that's a good question. Um, there's so many. There's yeah, there's a lot. There's just 
I really like, and I don't know that I could do it. I love the timber of Morgan Freeman's voice. And, you know, my voice is down a little bit. The down, it's not nearly where it needs to be. His is so distinct and, and delightful. I really like his voice. That's tough. Um, that's a tough That's a tough question, but they, he's the first one that I think of. How about you, Greg? That's a good question. I, I think I gravitate more towards uh, men with the, with the deeper voices uh, like that, like a James Earl Jones or, or someone like that. I think there's more... There's, there's power behind those those sorts of voices. So, yeah, I'd have to almost double the, uh, or, or second the Morgan Freeman kind of, you know, James Earl Jones' range, that baritone, go, you know, leaning toward, you know, skewing towards bass. Well, it's almost a cadence, too. Morgan Freeman, down here. And it's the way that it's, it's, such, it's slow, it's just honey. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I got to go with Michael Caine. Everybody, and everybody's got a Michael Caine. Can you, Michael Caine? I'm going to put everybody on the spot. Michael Caine. And everybody's got their own Michael Kine, and Michael Kine even has his own. He, there's, he, he jokes yeah, about it uh, in some of his autobiographical stuff I've read. Because he, he, he'll do it for people, and they go, no, no, no that's no good. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, can, I, I think of him immediately, his, his character and the way that he sounds in uh, Miss Congeniality is really mm-hmm. the one that, that pops to me most, mostly, ironically, for, for Michael Kane. It's not the, the Alfred in the Batman series or anything. For some reason, just his... And maybe it's his performance that's included in that, but it's the way that he holds himself and the way that he sounds that thinly veiled um, disgust at the beginning of the show. And, you know, that moves that moves to a, a almost reluctant pride that he manages to do with a delightful accent. Well, we were talking about and this. The whole accent thing got me thinking probably the most one of the most talented Actors I've I've seen is, is uh, in show Orphan Black. I'm not sure if you guys have seen that. Or um, Tatiana Maslany played seven, eight clones. So basically, the same physical person, but different individuals, and each one had its own accent. Hmm. Oh wow! And in one scene, I remember she had to play one clone pretending to be another clone, and to do that, she changed the accent enough so that you, it wasn't exactly the one. It was in between two of them. So she was creating her own accent have you ever done that adrian or, or or played around with trying to create an accent that wasn't a specific region or something that you that's been prescribed i honestly i haven't it's a lot of fun it's it sounds like a wonderful ex- exercise for a voice actor um i believe that uh mel blanc who voiced a lot of warner brothers characters bugs bunny and daffy duck almost all of them <laughs> almost all of them yeah but one of the things one of the the absolute pinnacles of, of that sort of example was Mel Blanc uh, voicing Bugs Bunny pretending to be Daffy Duck and then Daffy Duck pretending to be Bugs Bunny in muddling these and not even muddling you could very clearly tell very clearly tell who was doing what even without any visuals and that's amazing to me <laughs> I have not had a chance to, to mess with that much but it will be a lot of fun well, shifting gears a little bit, uh, we referenced in your bio that uh, you you are have a family of theatrically involved people. Yes. And uh, we, when we did appointment together, all three of us, the first show uh, together, uh, your daughter Anya, who is a junior in high school. She's a senior now. Senior. Oh, my God. Uh, she appeared along with us. So we, what is it like being a father and husband to such a theatrically active family? It's a lot of fun, and you have to have a sense of humor. You have to, because it's, we end up, 
annoying each other and getting a little juvenile. Um, my wife does a lot of eye rolling if we get on a roll, but it, you know she understands. I'm sure. I hope. So when you and Ani work together, do you guys work together on things like accents? We hold worked, a book on each other, etc. Yeah, we did. We absolutely helped with with learning lines together. We didn't have in appointment with death. We didn't have a lot of scenes with each other. In fact, I th- I think we'd never actually spoke to each other. But that also meant that we could actually practice lines and I could work her lines and she could work mine and it worked out very well. It was a lot of fun. It's difficult because it's also means that I had to try to be a, more aware of trying to set a example of certain things that that are difficult because we want to mess around but I can't I got to lock it down so I have to try to you know at the end of the day I want to be in a show and I want to be in the next show so you know having to be the parent is necessary it's not always fun but it's necessary but she's such a great kid that it wasn't like it was difficult it was just you know making sure that I was modeling that listening to the director during notes and paying attention and being there being present something that she had to do that i remember was uh work on her voice to appear younger yes and almost a little spoiled just to kind of she was a very erratic character unstable at times is that i guess that's just a, a voice age as opposed to a dialect accent because um, i remember that that was something that jeffrey bassett spoke to was i need more of this i need more of that and it was yes. it was just to to de-age her Essentially, yes. yes, and that was actually that's a good point. It's something that everybody does, but especially for your first show, you tend to speak more quickly. You'll rush your lines, and so she was nervous about it to begin with, and so she would say her lines more quickly. And everybody does it. And so one of the things that we worked on, not just if you bring your voice up a little bit, then it does sound you sound maybe a little bit younger. Especially girls can do that and get away with sounding more girly. So she had to do that and she had to slow down. And one of the things that we worked on and one of the things that I constantly work on when I'm doing a show is remembering to enunciate more. And if I feel like I'm going a little too slow, then that feels right because I'll naturally speed up. And then Mm -hmm. I can trust the director to say, you're saying it too slow if, if I actually am. So making sure that I enunciate and, and push it out is just as important. And it also helps me focus more on what, how, what the delivery is. And it's all about, that's all the delivery. An accent is just the way that you deliver your lines for the audience. Well, I'm lucky enough to work with Mrs. Groot, And I got to say, your family's a joy to be around. You guys are infinitely talented. That's be very, very proud. Of you. Thank you. <laughs> so what has been, uh, you've, you've touched on, on what you've got coming up next, but with with COVID hitting and everything shutting down almost, you know, um, suddenly, what has been your biggest challenge theatrically during uh, during COVID? Um, that's a good question. Not not being on stage is it's. I mean, I usually because of scheduling and because of of you know making sure that I balance my life correctly, I usually only do I'm on stage once a year. Usually, it's just been not being able to do a show, not being able to be on stage and and being able to be a part of shout is great, but it's, it, that's up in the air and it's just very, it just, it's another level of stress. It's something that I can't do. So it, you know, a lot of us are feeling that. 
And being able to do things like this uh, definitely helps. Well, we've learned a lot. Yeah, there's a lot, 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 lot to digest. Like we said, we'll put those links up. Uh, so anybody who's interested in learning some of the techniques that you talked about, Adrian, they'll be able to um, go to those and maybe get some, order some things and, and learn some accents for themselves. Absolutely. Well, coming up next, we've got our In the Mix segment. We're going to enjoy a cocktail by, made by Greg and uh, talk a little bit about the news. So stick with us right here on Heilman & Haver. And welcome back to Heilman and Haver, the stage and screen podcast. Coming to you this evening from Casa de Quinn Studios with our special guest, Adrian DeGroot. It's time for our In the Mix segment, one of my favorites. And this is where our resident mixologist, Mr. Heilman, prepares a special cocktail. Today, in honor of a film that we're going to be uh, chatting about here in a few minutes, and our favorite nutty Irishman, Bob De Niro. Greg, take it away. Our friend Bob. Yes, so the uh, this is the nutty Irishman. Um, and it's super simple. It's uh, Irish cream liqueur and hazelnut liqueur. So we're using, uh, in honor of our um, associate producer, Quinn, we're using Quinn's Irish cream and uh, mix that with some, some uh, hazelnut liqueur. It's equal parts. If you're doing a shot, it's three quarters of an ounce of each. And then we're doing kind of a, a sipping um, on the rocks version uh, with just equal parts uh, of both. So cheers, guys. Cheers. Y'all, that's delicious. It is, it yeah. is good. If it's you're a good coffee lover, you're going to enjoy this. And it's a good dessert drink, too, for after, after a nice meal or something like that. So, The Nutty Irishman, so that's a, a segue into our in-the-news um, topic. We're going to be talking about de-aging technology in film. And over the years, aging characters has been standard practice in Hollywood. It's been done relatively frequently and is comparatively easy to do with makeup and wigs and prosthetics and things like that. De-aging is something that's really been something that's a little bit newer. Previously, it had been done by just um, casting younger actors in the roles of um, actors earlier in their lives. So some examples of that, probably the most uh, famous one is, is our, our Bob De Niro in um, Godfather 2 playing the uh, younger version of The Godfather. Uh, but we've got a number of examples. Rob Lowe playing a younger Robert Wagner and Austin Powers' Spy that Shagged Me. Josh Brolin playing a more youthful Tommy Lee Jones in Men in Black 3. You know, in some cases, directors would, you know, throw an 80s wig or use heavy makeup to thin out wrinkles. But largely, actors rarely played younger versions of themselves on screen. Well, that is until 2006, when X-Men Last Stand found us looking at younger versions of Sirs Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen. In this film, computers were used to remove some age spots, smooth out wrinkles, and darken hair. But what followed that was an aggressive transition into CGI, or computer-generated imagery, from 2008's Benjamin Button, to providing younger versions of Jeff Bridges in 2010's Tron Legacy, to Marvel Studios flashing back in a number of films. Robert Downey Jr., Samuel L. Jackson, Kurt Russell. In 2019, Netflix brought us The Irishman, which de-aged multiple characters, and is the namesake of our drink. So there are ways in which studios can de-age actors, and they're as varied as the results they've gotten. The first time I saw this done was in Tron Legacy, and, and honestly, I was blown away. You look at it now, and, and it may not have stood the test of time, but you know when I first saw it, a younger Jeff Bridges, who 
had, um, you know, aged significantly from 1982 to 2010 to bring back that 1982 look was, uh, I thought, uh, phenomenally done at the time. But, you know, they're all kind of a bit clunky. Though the exception might be uh, Kurt Russell in Guardians of the Galaxy 2. I think arguably that might be the best one yet. Um, but there's a lot of agreement um, out there on that. But on the other hand, The Irishman, um, and we'll talk about that in a bit, has gotten some mixed reviews. And uh, I think, uh, Matt, you've got some take on that. Yeah, I, uh, I was really excited for this film, uh, big time, for a lot of reasons. Uh, Scorsese, enough said. Uh, De Niro working with Scorsese again after some time. Joe Pesci coming out of retirement after a long hiatus and needing to be coaxed out, I guess. Um, the fact that it was a Netflix film, but that was going to obviously be up for uh, Oscar nods. And my favorite, Pacino working with Scorsese for the first time ever. How that's never happened before, who knows? Uh, but just a lot of hype around this film. And I knew that they'd use this technology. And of course, so I was watching for it and it just didn't go off the right way. It, 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 I just couldn't get past it. We were joking, but it didn't make Robert De Niro look all that much younger. And it certainly didn't make him look Irish. <laughs> oh, for sure. So you, we want to we get into, you know, kind of what does this mean for the, for the future um, as this technology becomes more pervasive? Robert De Niro said when they did The Irishman, quote, you just gave me 30 more years of my career. You know, the technology getting better and better. Does this mean that actors will be able to play younger roles longer, you know, increasing the length of their of their careers? But on the other hand, would Godfather 2 be as good with a D.H. Marlon Brando as, you know, as it was with the Oscar winning performance of, of Robert De Niro playing the younger Don Corleone? So what are the wider implications? You can look at some pros and cons. Pros, actors can play a wider range of roles, not limited by age. The death of an actor during a film or series can be mitigated using technology. But on the other hand, as you were alluding to, Matt, physical attributes, walk, mannerisms, things like that, that appear older can contradict the look of someone. So imagine you watch, you know, a 30-some-odd-year, you know, Al Pacino, but he walks like a 70-some-odd-year Al Pacino. It just, it, it just doesn't um, add up. So... Um, and then finally, robbing younger actors of work. I mean, for example, James Dean is currently cast in a film called Finding Jack. Obviously, James Dean isn't alive anymore. He's been dead for qu quite some time. He was not able to approve his use of the film um, or any of the lines or anything related to it. And the film could surely be made using an actor who's younger and frankly alive now to give someone work. But, you know, that looks like Obviously, something that's a gimmick, you know, being used as a gimmick, but obviously uh, weighing the pros and cons there. So, I guess for the for the group here for the panel, what what is the first what is the first time that you saw de aging in a film? Well, for me, it actually, was The Irishman, and I think there are really two sides to this um, that are one that doesn't really bother me. If you can get the CGI right, by all means, if you can get the movements right do it. Uh, if it breathes new life in some of these older actors that we'd love to see stick around for, for, you know, a few more decades, like De Niro's joking about, cool. But then you've got this other creepy side where you're bringing the dead back to life uh, on screen without, obviously, their, their approval. Maybe their estate gives a nod, but it could be a, you know, third cousin twice removed by this point. Um, I was listening to interviews with uh, the um, the folks behind Finding Jack, and they they said, we looked around, we looked everywhere, and we decided that the only person to play this role was James Dean. You mean to tell me there's one young actor with the swagger and verve that Dean had that you could have cast? 
That seems that seems a little bit ridiculous. Yeah, yeah and, and not only, I mean, they're hiring somebody to play the body double, so you right. already got somebody, so it's just all about the face. Yeah. It's a it's an interesting um it's an interesting idea. I feel like for one thing, uh if we were still in the uh the older two thousands era where really everything's being done by bigger studios and you only have you know, three or four or five big studios who have the money to do this, then it would definitely be a huge concern. The thing that I see counterbalancing this is uh, that now we have a lot of these smaller shops with smaller budgets who aren't going to be able to afford this. Now, <laughs> I can take this position because I am not an actor and I'm not, I'm not doing this for a career and I'm not going out and auditioning every day. I imagine that if this is scary if you're in that situation. But there are opportunities and you will always find there's always going to be the next big person. And so at the end of the day, if you're good, at the end of the day, if if there's something about you, you will be seen and you will be cast. You know, I am not interested in seeing Carrie Fisher, you know, brought brought back to life, air quotes. Because as much as I love the work that she's done, her time is done. And I feel like I feel like audiences are smart enough to react to that and say, we want to see, you know, we want to see what else there is. You know, we have our library of of these other actors in their classic roles. I want to see something new. Yeah, and I think to that point, so you mentioned Carrie Fisher. I thought Michelle Pfeiffer was the other other one that I know that um, had de-aging done in Ant-Man and the Wasp. Again, both big studio pictures that have the technology to do this. But when you look at a younger person playing a younger version of an older character, i.e. Godfather 2 or some of these other ones, you get to experience two very good actors as opposed to one actor who's digitally you know, altered to look younger. And I like having the experience of, of, of seeing multiple performances and multiple talents pulling this this off than than the one that's that's it's gimmickly you know de-aged yeah and i think that i mean that's a really a lot of fun for me um to see who they're going to cast you know and oh man they nailed that one you know um and, and also to see i mean it begs the question if you're going to do a biopic like rocket man well why don't you just get elton to do it himself and, and i also could go devil's advocate on this and say well you have technology to make young actors older. Um, in fact, uh, I recently watched Usual Suspects, and that got me on the topic of Kevin Spacey and his fall from grace. Um, but he was in the process of making a movie about the Gettys, about the kidnapping of uh, John Paul Getty III. All the money in the world is what it's called. Well, he was cast to play Getty. It took the role away from Christopher Plummer, who they brought in to reshoot all the scenes once they had to ditch Spacey. So you could almost say that it could work opposite. If you got younger, or, or, or say um, Christian Bale playing Cheney, you know, he had to play him through his whole life. Well, they could have cast him as the young Cheney and cast someone older. So I can see jobs being taken away on both ends of the spectrum, but uh, I just don't think the technology is there yet. And I think that's saying a lot, considering how advanced we've gotten in the last, like you said, since the early 2000s. Yeah, I am, I, I am in my 40s. I've seen this cycle happen several times where and especially being as, as a as, as you mentioned in my bio i'm a programmer by trade so 
I see and I'm aware of the next big thing. And it's always, there's, there's a lot of discussion about, about this is the next big thing that's going to, that's going to kill off this, or it's going to, you know, going to kill off, you know, we're not going to have younger actors anymore. Well, no, that's, I understand the fear of it. It's a valid fear, but I feel like it's going to be borne out that at the end of the day, it's going to be more exciting and audiences are going to want the new talent to come in. And that's what I want, certainly, as as a uh, as somebody who enjoys film and enjoys this. That's what I want to see. I want to see these, I want to see this talent. And at the end of the day, I'm comfortable with this being used as a tool in the right place. The fact that it is still relatively new, the fact right. that we're that we're suddenly seeing it means that we're going to see things like the Irishman where it's not done as well as we want. And I feel like just the market pressure will cause the studios to tune and tweak when they use it and how much they use it so that we're not going to lose that next big thing. It's it's like 3D, I, I think, too. Any of these new technologies, for a while there were 3D was coming, you had the 3D televisions, you had 3D everywhere, but it's settled down into use it when it makes sense. Exactly. So yeah, I think that's that's a really good point. Growing pains. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> you know, and studios, studios are going to do this. Uh, so the you know the question then becomes, and I think we've kind of touched on that is, uh, and maybe a, a question for um, you out there uh, in the listener uh, community: Do you think they should just because they could? And, and some of these other questions, we're interested in in what you guys think and and what um, when you saw de aging in film, and and if you'd like to see this continue. And some of the questions we asked each other here, um, the one thing I do want to leave with is kind of a tip, um, you know, and, and none of us are probably going to be in this kind of situation where we need to protect our images. But, you know, for some of the actors out there, when you look at what's um, being known with James Dean, I know that for Will Smith, for example, they did some de-aging in Gemini Man with him. He owns his own image. He owns the rights to his own image explicitly so anything that's done with his image has to have his consent um, but i think actors need to be careful as they uh, move up and be and become more popular to make sure that they own the right to their you know they're basically their own intellectual property so i think that's one thing that needs to be considered a lot of strong feelings out there on both sides oh for sure <laughs> definitely and it'll be interesting to see what they do with dean if that actually comes to fruition so we'll keep our eye on that coming up next We've got our curtain call segment. Got some fun questions for Adrian, and uh, we'll be wrapping the show up. If you'd like to uh, comment or have some thoughts on our uh, topic, uh, the de-aging controversy, hit us up at uh, Heilman and Haver on Facebook. You can also email us, Haver at gmail.com, and uh, you can also comment here. We'll be right back with our curtain call segment right here on Heilman and Haver. Welcome back to Heilman and Haver. Now's the time we kind of have a little fun with our guest in the curtain call segment. Kind of a lightning round of questions. Take it away, Matt. Adrian DeGroote is our guest tonight. And uh, first of all, thank you for joining us. We had a, had a lot of fun and we've learned an awful lot. Well, thanks so much for having me. So first curtain call question. What is the last thing you do before you step out on stage before the curtain goes up? Well, keeping in with the theme of the show, 
typically I will, uh, you'll see me kind of shadow box a little bit, trying to get that energy up. And I also have a couple of, uh, a couple of uh, poems and a couple of uh, things that I will repeat in whatever accent it is, because I tend to do accented shows. Um, to, to sit in si solemn silence on a dull, dark dock in a pestilential prison with a, in a lifelong lock and so on. Uh, it, it helps me get into that mouth space and it, it helps for me at least to cement what I'm saying and how I'm saying it. Fantastic. Uh, if you could direct um, or act with one person alive or dead, uh, who would you most like to work with? This is a, it's a hard question. I think... Robin Williams is the one. It's just, I, I love so much of what he's done. And it just looks like the just a joy to be on set with him. I don't know what he's like to direct, but it looks like it would just be such a blast and such an experience. If someone was going to make a life of your film, Adrian DeGroot, two questions. Who would you like to play you? And follow up. Who do you think would be cast? Well, um, <laughs> add a little twist to that. <laughs> yes, I have been told, at least when I was younger, I was told that I looked kind of like Hugh Grant. And so that would be, I think that would be flattering. I would be worried that they would cast somebody like Mike Myers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know for sure. Again, that's assuming that there's something interesting enough for them to make a show about oh i have no doubt there would be ha, the okay. life of adrian degroot you are too kind, <laughs> and the, the degroot clan <laughs> well again thank you so much for joining us we've had a great time and uh, we'll definitely have you back oh thank you so much it's been a pleasure gentlemen a lot of fun before we sign off, we wanted to uh, remind our local theater community out there of another uh, fundraising event happening uh, here in good old Port Orchard, Wa. Um, last time we spoke about Western Washington Center for the Arts, a uh, place near and dear to all of our hearts. We've all worked there. And um, they're going to be doing another fundraising event coming up uh, tomorrow, Saturday. Um, that is the 17th. And they're having a costume sale. So uh, Halloween is right around the corner. Uh, you can come down, uh, find a costume for Halloween. They also, um, they're going to be actually be renting their bigger costume items that are not uh, for sale. And uh, the downstairs area is also going to be open. They still have set pieces, furniture, other items. They have sewing and craft materials. And they're not closing. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is not a fire sale. They are just, this is just a fundraising event. And uh, obviously, quarantine has hit everyone hard. And another opportunity to come out. Uh, the event lasts from 11 until 1 on Saturday, uh, the 17th, right down on Bay Street, 521. Uh, Bay Street in Port Orchard. So come on out and support local theater. And if you do have the chance, if you want to just get a preview of what they have there, uh, Matt and I did a, a live um, feed from there when they had their um, quarantine uh, sale. Pandemic sale. Their yeah. pandemic sale, yeah. Um, so you could see the set piece that they had and, and some of the clothing. We apologize um, for the audio. wasn't wasn't so good. Uh, we're still working out some of the wrinkles. But uh, yeah, for tonight, thank you to our guest, Adrian DeGroote, and our associate producer, A.B. Quinn Heilman. Coming up on our next episode, October 30th, we'll welcome actor-director Becca Ewan, who will share her experience around her love of and her directing and acting in musical theater. We'll add a Halloween twist and talk to her about bringing Rocky Horror to the local stage. Finally, we'll be providing another viewpoint on our discussion from our last episode about the U.S. versus Paramount uh, decision as we talk to Stephen Goodnow, 
COO of Faraway Entertainment and manager of the Roxy Theatre in Bremerton. Until then, join the conversation on Facebook and email us with thoughts and comments at heilmanandhaver.gmail.com. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube. And if you enjoy the show, make sure to follow us and share the podcast with a friend. Don't forget to join us next time, October 30th. And until we're all back treading the boards together, thank you for supporting local theater and for joining us on Heilman and Haver.